So as I live, hopefully, as authentically and uh, generously and confidently as I can as a Christian, uh, my hope and prayer is that that is a good witness to my friends, my neighbours, um, the people I meet who know that I'm a Christian and that they can put two and two together. Mm. And by God's grace and by God's spirit, that will be part of the story, including me telling the story and asking for a response that actually brings more and more people into the kingdom. Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast. It is lovely to have you along with us and uh, lovely to have one of my usual co-hosts along with me. Uh, Tim, how are you? Go on, mate. How are you? Good, thank you. Stu cannot join us, unfortunately. He is no. uh, unwell. He is. As a lot of people have been. Uh, yes, so uh, there's a lot of flu going around. Yes, I don't think my, my youngest daughter has been fully full health for four weeks or something. Yeah, Because right. there's just so many different uh, but a few kids sick haven't you infections yes yes yeah. my son was very sick yesterday yeah with <laughs> never seen him vomit so much <laughs> <laughs> poor kid it was just like even in the middle of one 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 episode he checked the time on his watch <laughs> like what are you checking the time for he's like i want to see how long it was since the last one <laughs> okay mate i'm oh, really thankful we sitting across the table from you joel <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, should, I shouldn't have let you. Know, I should have let you know that before we started. But perfect you know. screen. Oh, oh, maybe we should do that. Yeah. 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 Covid safe. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just because you know didn't want to look at me as as much. <laughs> well, no, normally my vision of you is blocked by the arm. Oh, so <laughs> yeah, can't right. really see your face. I do that on purpose when yeah, we set yeah, it up. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, sorry. No, really no, no, it's for you. It's for your benefit, oh, not see, mine. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we are gonna. Do the final episode of yeah, our... Finishing how we started, just yeah, the two of us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's how we like it. Uh, um, because we're doing a season called Whatever Happened to Evangelism. We've looked at so many things. And so we thought that this has come up... We've brought it up almost up to the present. Last week, we talked about Sorrow Revival Church and many of the, the 30 years ministry that's been and what we've learnt over those 30 years in terms of evangelism. But uh, we're now kind of up to the present as well as we look across history. Uh, so we thought it was a good time to wrap it up and uh, we can kind of get some personal reflections on what we think about evangelism now and what we've seen in, in the research that we've looked at and all those kind of things. But as always, we like to start with a personal story or a cultural artifact and you are the focus of that today, we decided. <laughs> um, what have you got for us? It was a, a personal story, isn't it, about kind of uh, related to what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so I was just thinking about how are we actually putting this into practice, all the things we've talked about, which we'll, we'll summarise as we go. Mm. Uh, but I was recalling a story with um, another parent helper um, at a local school and who's not a Christian. Um, and just as I'm being thinking about these things, what does it mean for me to have that sort of confident Christianity that we've talked about that's not arrogant, that it's not um, you know Bible-bashing someone, mm. but is just being positively and authentically Christian. And so part of that has just been the conversations that we have and just that clear ownership of what it means to be a Christian. And, mm. um, and so as I'm talking with these other parent helpers um, who are all very, really lovely and welcoming and we, we get along well together in the short kind of snippet conversations that we're having. But just being able to say, you know, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Here's the church I go to. Here's why it's important to me to help out in the school in the way that I do. Um, and have those conversations with these other parents 
uh, who are also you know, helping out, but just to be able to communicate that. So, uh, you know, it hasn't transgressed to a point where, you know, I'm inviting them to church. Um, I mean, I've kind of done a soft, you know, oh, I go to the church down the road, you know, the one in the factory yep. opposite the shopping centre. Mm. Uh, and sometimes they go, oh, yeah, I think I've seen that one. Like, yeah, well, that's my church. You know, you feel free to drop in at any time. So it's kind of a real soft <laughs> pitch rather yep. than a, a personal invite um but i don't know them that well we've had you know a number of you know three minute conversations once a week uh but it's just building that um confidence in me to be able to say you know yeah I, i'm owning who i am um and that's really obvious uh but it's also just to it's it's been really helpful to remember in these really lovely conversations with really um lovely people that a lot of our friends and neighbours and people we run into are not the angry, anti-Christian uh, people that you might sort of see portrayed in the media or you see um, communicated online. Because um, there's a lot of noise out there that suggests that people think Christianity is dangerous, that Christianity is, you know, a dinosaur that we should get rid of um, <laughs> and all of these kind of things. We should just let it die and... The, the appropriate secular response is that we will continue to have a culture that gets further and further away from religion um, and actually the best thing would be to get rid of all religion and leave it behind and to go ahead in this non-God, non-religious, wonderful future utopia where these things don't matter anymore. Um, and that is often a cultural narrative that it's 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 in the social media, it's in the mainstream media, um, it's just in the uh, cultural air that we breathe sometimes. But it's a great reminder that actually when you get on the ground with real people, very few people actually think like that. It's the noisy minority that are making the publications that talk about this. Um, but actually just your neighbours are very unlikely to be like that. Um, and that's what some of the stuff we'll talk about today in terms of research where there's a fairly recent research in from in the Australian context um, which show the openness of people but that's just been a really helpful reminder to me as I've been thinking about this through the podcast series as I've been interacting with people mm. um, uh, just in the street mm. that we can just be confidently Christian and just um, be prepared to give an answer as Peter talks about um, and just be able to say uh, this is who I am um, and I'm really happy talking about it. I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. Uh, it doesn't shame me to talk about it. Um, I'm really confident and happy with what I'm doing. How does, um, I think you actually came up with that. I mean, it's not a, 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 a trademark phrase, but you can, I think you came up with that in like an earlier season that we were talking about being confidently Christian. I'm just wondering when you, you're talking to those people that aren't Christians, where, how, like, how confident do you feel to share that? And what would be uh, influencing that confidence at that particular time? Yeah, in one level, I I don't really have a choice in some ways beca <laughs> because I'm a minister. <laughs> and so you only have to get about one question into a conversation and they say, yeah, what do you do? Oh, I'm a mm. consultant for churches. Yeah, mm. I, um, I went for a, just a massage the other day, um, which was lovely. Um, but the... Yeah, the massage is like, oh, so what do you do? Um, and I'm like, oh, I work with Anglican churches um, between here and Aladala and I consult, particularly in children's ministry. Uh, and again, she goes, oh, that's lovely. And then <laughs> talked about her own history as, uh, you know, she grew up Catholic and now 
believes in spirituality, like just this wafty spirituality that doesn't have any particular doctrine, but mm. she just kind of thinks that there's something nice in the world and those kinds of things. Um, so okay, again, just another example of like, I don't have a lot of choice to not be conflict Christian because I've just got to own it because that's, that's who I am. It's my entire um, work life. It's my entire social life really is just around Christianity and which is why having these other conversations with people in the shops or um, yeah, going for a massage or yeah, the, the other parents at the public school, being able to say um, there's a number of non-Christian contacts that I have um, and so that's the space where yeah, I do have to be able to say, well, this is who I am, this is what I do for a job and mm. just to own that unapologetically. So I think the confidence there is... Um, well, firstly, it's, it's not a confidence that comes from me. I'm not nat- naturally an extroverted kind of um, guy, particularly in people I don't know very well. I've, by the way, I find that very surprising. But anyway, the way that you preach and also like lead ministry, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's because I'm up front and I don't have to actually engage with you personally. It's just, <laughs> it's almost, no, performance is too strong, but it's a, it's a I can project it's a mode. energy mm. Um up front yes. certainly uh so i have no problem with that <laughs> uh and having uh close conversations with good friends like we're doing now publicly mm. hi yeah. um i'm yeah. glad you think i'm a good friend <laughs> yeah well, no, you are um so i really like these kind of these deep conversations with close friends like yeah, yeah that's really nice mm. but the the chit chat conversations i don't do well with small okay. talk yeah okay um i find those situations quite stressful really? so i don't necessarily um have a lot of personal confidence there but there's a confidence mm. there of actually i do really believe what i believe i really do believe that jesus um was a historic person who really did live die and rise again that mm. in doing so really did show himself to be god um and therefore we take his words and the words of the scriptures around him seriously mm. um and we shape our life on our discipleship um, of following him in everything we do. Uh, I do take seriously wanting to myself know, love and obey Jesus more and to introduce children to Jesus and help them to grow in their knowledge, love and obedience to King Jesus. So I really do think that that is the best thing I, that I could be doing because I believe that it's true and it's, um, as the Bible, uh, as, as Paul writes, you know, it's all the scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. So there's a utility there that actually this is the best life. This is the best explanation of our world. So I am fully convinced of all of that. And I think that's where the confidence comes from, that in spite of my personality, I can actually be really genuine and open Mm -hmm. about that. Um, So I think that's that's what I find Mm -hmm. helpful in those situations, to remember the grounding and the foundation of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And and therefore that transforms you and then you have the conviction to go go out and have the confidence to tell people about your particular transformation and what Jesus can can do for other people as well. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. And to do that in those relational ways which yeah. we've talked about which is we'll again we'll sort of circle back around in mm. this episode but uh I'm not the kind of person that would feel confident standing on the sidewalk and handing out tracks and trying to have yeah, the because that's just a lot of chit chat small talk conversations <laughs> and there where I don't feel confident but being able to establish relationships with people um, and in those relationships show that my faith is genuine and authentic um, and invite them to see that in me um, that that is I think not just a helpful um, evangelism but it's actually what God calls us to do uh, and also calls us to do regardless of the outcome 
Mm. Um, it's not a strategy in that it's not a um, – what's the word? I'm not trying to be manipulative in that um, and I want to treat them as an authentic person and genuinely be in relationship with them uh, and be in relationship with them regardless of whether they – take up on any offers of coming to church or reading the Bible or those kinds of things. Uh, I want to enjoy them for them. But also there is an ultimate destination for all of us um, and there's an ultimate reality which is shaped by whether we accept Jesus for who he is. And so there is that as well. But I think Jesus calls us to live our lives authentically, always being prepared to give an answer uh, for those who ask um, and just live confident. Christian lives and that because that's how what God has called us to do that is going to be an effective method for others to see the beauty of Christ and to be intrigued by that um, and it will be the aroma of life to many mm. and I think that's I mean I think even when we kicked off this season in the first episode we were talking about like the often the picture of an evangelist is someone who is the person handing out tracks like you said and very very good at starting off cold cold conversations to talk about Jesus. But as we've gone across well, that particular episode and, and many other episodes we've talked about, and we've talked about how we have uh, all have the opportunity to talk about it. And it's not just how we live, but we always have that confidence that you're talking about mm. to be able to actually share it. Um, now, you don't have to be the person that stands up the front all the time, even though I think you do that very well. But the person that's, uh, you know, you, there's that... I don't know if it's a type A personality or a, but there's those people that you know that are just ready to talk about Jesus and ask people randomly about Jesus all the time, which is probably not where we probably even fall. Um, the the question I was going to ask you though, the, se- the season that we called is whatever happened to evangelism. Tim, whatever happened to evangelism? <laughs> Do let, me, let me sum up and tell you what. Uh, no, it, uh, there's, we've told a, a long story um, of many, many parts. Mm. So uh, if, if for some reason this is the first episode you've bumped into, go back and listen to all, what's this, less episode 19? 19, yeah, we highly yeah. recommend it. So re- listen to the other 18 <laughs> so you, you've caught up. Um, but part of the story is uh, thinking, well, we started by defining the word evangelicalism, uh, sorry, evangelism, um, and how it comes from the Greek euangelion, so the idea that this is the good news. It's a good proclamation. It's a proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Um, And that comes out of a number of places. Um, Stu has regularly referenced um, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Yep. So... The time has come, he said, the kingdom of... The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Shout out to Stu for putting that in every single episode, I think, of this <laughs> season almost. Which, I'm not to give him a hard time, it's just like I think it's very true. But sorry, keep going with what you're saying. No, that's right. Mm. So, and because that really clearly articulates in Mark's gospel, this is the first thing Jesus says. Um, and it's the the summary of what the rest of the book of Mark is going to be about. And because the book of Mark is a book of Jesus' life and ministry and message, that therefore it's the encapsulation of. Um, the New Testament and then, you know, with a healthy understanding of biblical theology, we realise that it's actually been the story right from Genesis 1 all the way through to Revelation 21 and it's the story that we are caught up in now. Mm. So it, it is a really great phrase, which is that the good news, the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Um, and the other thing we noted in that is that it's a proclamation that calls for a response. Um, so there's, you know, there is news that is... Uh, doesn't make an impact really on your life. 
Uh, so not that long ago, we had uh, the Queen's Jubilee, um, Platinum Jubilee, I believe. Um, the 70 years? I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which is extraordinary and made a lot of news and a lot of headlines and some, I watched some great YouTube videos mm. and there's the Queen having cups of tea with Paddington Bear and <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. Um, you know, the band Queen playing outside and mm. doing it. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, at the end of the day, it means n- almost nothing. I can't think of any part of my life um, other than a few wasted hours watching you know, YouTube highlight clips that have been impacted by the proclamation that the Queen has been running for 70 years. Now, I know there's a much broader, because we're part of the Commonwealth, there's a whole lot of, mm. you know, political, historical things that are tied up. I think there. Stu would disagree. Well, I mean, <laughs> Stu, you know, really passionately um, English. He's got really strong mm. English heritage. Yeah. Uh, I don't have strong English heritage. Mm. Uh, and so I don't feel that deep sense of connection. It's interesting. Um, I'm glad that, yeah, we live in a country that has a stable government and I know that a large part of that history has been our connection to the Commonwealth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in 2022, really hasn't changed much for me. Mm. So the, the proclamation that Jesus is the risen Lord Christ um, and that he, the kingdom has come and that we are invited to be part of that kingdom, that's a different kind of proclamation. This is a proclamation that is, there's, a, there's an urgency in it um, and it also requires us to make a decision uh, whether we are ourselves going to be take up that offer of being part of the kingdom um, by accepting who Jesus is and what he's done for us in his death and resurrection uh, or we're not and it's it's a it's a conscious choice either way once we've heard the message it's not a message that we can easily avoid and ignore and so that's why I think that that phrase at mark 115 is really really helpful in articulating what is the euangelion, the good news, the proclamation. Mm. Um, so we, we kind of start there, that that is where the word evangelism comes from. We've kind of tracked that through history um, of particularly looking at big revivals. Mm-hmm. We've talked about areas where evangelism seems to have exploded for particular reasons. We've looked at some of the cultural reasons and some of the historic reasons for that, the particular personalities like Wesley um, and... Um, Whitfield. Whitfield, thank you. Edwards, a yep. uh, number of others. Uh, we've had a few different people on the series to talk about different aspects of that. So we had uh, a couple of my mates, uh, Andy Stevenson, come to talk about um, mm. evangelism to teenagers in particular. Um my mate Jen to come on and talk about evangelism to children in particular and families and what that looks like from a church context. Uh, We had Timothy Paul Jones a couple of weeks ago um, help us from the American context and his observations of evangelicalism um, and particularly the uh, connections with fundamentalism, which is another thing we've tried to track through is the word evangelism gets taken up by a particular group of Christians called evangelicals. Um, who are those who are particularly committing to that proclamation um, and almost to the exclusion of other things, saying, no, no, it's the proclamation of this gospel. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. That is the defining uh, message that we hold out to people. Uh, And what we've tried to show throughout history, um, particularly from Wesley and those who were part of that sort of early evangelical line was that there was this through line of evangelicalism with people who were just trying to stick to that message and to say this is what defines us as christians and this defines our message Uh, and the various points since then where 
are either culturally right or culturally left, more conservative or more progressive, um, trends have come up that have tempted to, uh, I guess, influence evangelicalism more one way or the other. Uh, and those who in history have sought to have realised that that sort of distortion is coming and said, hold on, let's, let's pause, uh, let's try and get back to a place where the message is clear um, because it's not being distorted by other factors. Um, and then we, we talked about uh, Bebbington. Bebbington's a historian mm. who looks at the history of evangelicalism and he looks and says that there's kind of four things um, which has become known as the Bebbington quadrilateral. So there are four things that evangelicals are particularly known for, those who are trying to keep this straight line. Um, and the first one is biblicism. So that is a high regard for the Bible. Mm. Uh, so taking the Bible, it is God's inspired word. It has, it's God revealed word to us. Um, and so all of our authority comes from that. So that's a really key one there. Um, the second one that evangelicals have been convicted of is uh, crucicentrism. <laughs> fancy word. You'd for well to pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, fancy word for saying that it's the atoning work of Christ on the cross, which is the central part of that message. So yeah. Jesus says the kingdom is, is near, repent and believe the good news. He shows that kingdom through all that he preaches and all that he does, all of his healing miracles, all of his calming the storm and feeding the 5,000, all of his teachings. Um, but ultimately, the, the ultimate example of what the gospel, the kingdom is, is when he dies and rises again. Um, and so that atoning work of Christ is the central part of the gospel story. Mm. Um, the third part of Bebbington's quadrilateral is conversionism. So this is the belief that human beings need to be converted and there needs to be an individual um, expression of that, that mm. I'm, I'm not saved because anyone else in my family is saved. I'm not um, sort of co-opted because of the influence of anyone else. I myself are responsible for making that decision um, and therefore my neighbour is responsible for that decision, my children are responsible for that decision and so that I this emphasis on conversionism that we need to ask people to make a response um, and call people to make a response has been a really key marker of evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. um, and the fourth one he talks about is activism and this is the belief that the gospel needs to ex be expressed in society. So this is what we see in Jesus' talk about the kingdom. Um, is that he did heal people, he did feed people. There was um, social and relational outworkings of the kingdom, uh, which we continue in. And so Bevington's noticing that um, the evangelicals are also noticing these things and convinced of these things. And so that's why we notice that throughout history, and particularly if we, we look at the British evangelicals, um, the British evangelicals were starting orphanages and starting schools and starting food pantries and um, hospitals and all of this came out of an evangelical impulse to say that the, the atoning work of Christ on the cross because of the authority of scripture and our personal conversion has influence into the wider society. Um, and I think what is, we've noted, um, particularly as we've gotten right to the present, is that that's the one that can tend to get distorted towards the right or the left in terms of politics and social action um, is when we put the expression of political or social needs above the work of those other things rather than an outflowing of those things. From the gospel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because <coughs> you brought up the revivals um, previously and, and 
I really felt like I made the connection between when you were talking about um, speaking to those people in your daily life that a lot of people think, oh, it's just Christianity is dangerous. We need to let it die. But that this isn't the first, like it's not really the first time that that's kind of happened. It happens in a different way. But even if you look at uh, Scope's monkey trial that we talked about, uh, uh, the enlightenment and all those, it's like, no, we're done with what, supposedly we're done with what God's trying to tell us mm. and trying to tell us how to live. But then the revivals that we've seen over time with Whitfield and... Um, I can't remember any of the other revivals at the time, but it's that I think that uh, you you did really well of like explaining the Bebbing and Quadrilateral, but that was the thing that really struck me then was we think in our moment and time that this is the end a lot of time. And we're in the end times, as Jesus says, but we think that this is perhaps the end of, you know, we looked at the end of Christendom and the end of all these other things, but revivals continue to happen. Like, uh, Mark says, I know I quote him a lot on the podcast, but he's been talking a lot about in the midst of um, crises, it gives opportunity for revival to happen. And maybe, I don't know if we're in that period. I think sometimes we feel like we're, we are, but the fact that if we can stick to those things within the Bebbington Quadrilateral that you're talking about, God moves in those in those ways and we hold on to the evangelical line and revivals can happen. Mm. And I think that's an encouragement that I've got a lot out of doing this season is that knowing that has helped me to be more um, confident like we've talked about but also knowing why society is perhaps unlikely to listen because of what's happened throughout history and I think that's why we went through this season as we did was to find out and we're talking about trying to answer the question whatever happened to evangelism and it's why do they see it as dangerous right now why has has this happened before? In a sense, it has. Uh, Christendom, Christendom led to the Enlightenment because people saw that the wars of Christendom led to so much destruction and a lot of death, obviously, and a lot of things that didn't look well. People didn't ex- like the experience of, and decided to go. No, this is if this is in the name of God, we need to change this. But I think your point about the evangelical line and the revivalists is really good for people to know about because we know that if we are going to hold on to the Bible and we are going to hold on to what Jesus has done for us and the transforming work he's done on the cross, then revivals do happen. What would you say, we talk about how people see Christianity is dangerous, like we need to get rid of it. Um, But you talked about, oh, I'm just going to be confident as a Christian anyway and that seems to people seem to respond to that relationally. Why do you think people see it as dangerous, and uh, how can we encourage people who are listening to this podcast to say, "Well, I can still be a confident Christian, even if people are saying that I'm dangerous." Yeah, um, it's a great question. I've, at least three things come to mind. I'll see if I can remember them all Excellent. as I talk. Uh, so one, the first one is most obviously Christians have got it wrong. Uh, so throughout history, there are people mm. who have claimed the name of Christ yep. who have done it wrong. Which is one of the reasons we went through that, all that historical That's context. right, yeah. And particularly, uh, was it last episode? I can't remember now, when we talked about the wars. Um, two episodes. Two episodes ago. Two, uh, such a long time. <laughs> two episodes ago, we talked about, um, you know, do, does religion cause all wars? Um, and we looked at the data behind that and realising that that statement is just patently false. Um, however, saying that it's false does not negate the fact that there have been significant moments where those who have claimed the name of Christ 
have done atrocious things. Mm. Uh, so you can think about, you know, at the war level, um, Spanish Inquisition, you know, you've got uh, the Crusades is a fairly obvious one. Uh, and then you've got more localised examples, so people who have experienced abuse at the hands of yes. um, the church. Um, we've done a Royal Commission recently in Australia which has looked at institutional child abuse um, or institutional responses to child abuse uh, and it looked at a whole lot of different um, institutions, including secular ones like the, the YMCA and Scouts and Girl Guides and all these kinds of things. But obviously churches are one of those places that have historically spent a lot of time with children and with teenagers. Um, and so that is an area where abuse has happened and we need to mourn that and we mm. need to acknowledge that and realise that there have been those who have claimed the name of Christ who have got it wrong. So a few episodes ago, uh, I think I mentioned John Dixon's book, Bullies and Saints, mm. uh, and which is just a really honest look at where Christianity has got it right and wrong. Uh, and... I think it's, it's worth acknowledging and it's worth noticing. Uh, part of the conversation we have around there is, well, how do we define right and wrong? Like, where, where are those metrics actually coming from? Mm. Um, and other historians, uh, someone like Tom Holland, for example, will argue that our, in the West, our understanding of what is right and what is wrong um, has come from our Christian heritage um, and is inextricably Christian. Uh, in the way that we understand morality. Um, and we just can't escape that, um, is Tom Holland's point. And as far as I know, Tom Holland himself is not a believer, uh, but he's just done the historic work to show that that's the case. Uh, but one of the other metrics is, well, what does actually Jesus call us to? What does the Bible call us to as Christians? What's the life um, that we're expected to live? What are the characteristics that we're expected to display? Uh, and so even by that metric, we can see that there are those who have claimed the name of Christ that have not lived up to the message of the kingdom and have not lived up to the ethic of the kingdom. And so we, that's one of the reasons why people can look back and say, well, these Christians are hypocrites, um, they're dangerous, we don't, um, uh, yeah, they don't deserve to be listened to. Yeah, look at what they cause. Look at what they've caused, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so we need to acknowledge that pain and particularly if we're dealing with someone who has um, personally experienced any of that hurt, to be really slow to speak and really quick to listen um, and just to sit with them and to mourn with them. I think there's a, a pastoral response that's required mm. there. Uh, another part um, of the answer, maybe a, a degree away from that, is part of the Christian message is that none of us are perfect until new creation. Um, and so all of us will struggle with sin. So even though uh, those of us who are seeking to live a godly life, we will also get it wrong. Um, by God's grace, not as horrifically as some of those notable examples that we can look at in history, but I will still let people down. Uh, I will still, you yeah, know, there will still be lies that I tell that might, you know, then be found out and hurt someone. There are still ways in which we fail to live even to our own aspirations. And Paul is really open about this in the gospel, uh, sorry, in, the, in his epistles, particularly Romans. He talks about, I still do what I don't want to do and I don't yeah. do what I do want to do. Um, and that's just part of our um, situation, situ situation as Christians is that we are not, we are forgiven and we are given the Holy Spirit and we are continuing to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, but we are, we are not yet there. Yeah. Um, and we will not yet be there until we have actually entered new creation. And so that as well is just part of the reality into that. 
And then probably the third one, uh, which is the sort of the cultural and historical question, is that in the West particularly, uh, our the ethic of the West has moved a long way away uh, in some ways from biblical Christianity. Um, and so what we notice is that you go back a number of generations and the difference between being a good Australian and being a good Christian, morally and ethically speaking, there was a strong overlap between those things. Uh, and so our attitude towards sexuality, our attitude towards um, drugs, um, our attitude towards what makes a good community, a good family, uh, what we should do on our weekends. Uh, I remember, you know, I was born in 82, I remember, so it must have been late 80s, uh, when our local coal supermarket started operating on Sundays. Yeah. Um, and even now, we have talk now about whether people who work on Sundays should get a bonus. Um, and part of the question is, well, why should they? And even that is just a lingering effect of, well, because Sunday's the Lord's Day. Now, not a politician is going to come out and say, well, Sunday's the Lord's Day. But there's still a debate about whether people should get paid Sunday bonus. Yes. Um, which is interesting mm. because if you take a completely secular point of view, Sunday's just a, another day. Why would you pay someone extra for a Sunday that you don't pay them on a Wednesday? That makes no sense. Um, except we've got this lingering Christianity, this long tail of Christianity but, but that comes from a place where, you know, within my lifetime, we had supermarkets start to open on Sundays. Um, so even just that is, not that I'm arguing that's a moral thing, but it's just, it's, it's symptomatic of the fact that our culture is moving further and further away from what we think of as Christianity. And so part of the reason that people think that Christianity might be dangerous is that there are some things where we will say, actually, no, the ethic of the Bible, the, of the kingdom, is different to the ethic of this world. And when those conflicts come up, uh, that, again, is one of those areas where people think that we're outdated um, and that as we've become more secular as an Australian society, we should, that's a good thing. Um, and so, therefore, any of those lingering aspects of Christianity should be done away with. Uh, and so that's part of that uh, cultural story that we are living amongst uh, that we need to work out how to respond to as we evangelise. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, do you think that's played out? Um, remember, we started this season with the research from Barna. And one of the things that we pulled out from that was uh, Christians feel well equipped to tell people about Jesus, but they're not, it's almost like they're not ready to tell people about Jesus. Do you think it's, and you've, we've, talked, we've talked about it at length over many, many different episodes, but um, I think those things that you're talking about right there are, are probably a big influence on that. In light of what we've talked about over, the, over these 19 episodes, how do you, how do, you, do you look at that, those results from that Barna research in a different lens? Because it's almost like, I know we've got some research here as well from from Australia, but it's almost like people are willing to listen, but perhaps our delivery isn't as, is isn't where it needs to be to be able to explain that to people. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that that can be true sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, part of what I notice uh, again online, so it's it's yeah, it's interesting. You look at social media, you get a very small perspective on the world. 
Uh, and so I need to keep remember. I need to keep having real life conversations to remember that that's not <laughs> everything that we see. I think it's easy to be drawn into that, and not, it's not even your intention because, like, uh, the. So I, I'm sorry, I'm going on. Uh, I'm digressing here, but like the social media is built for you to be think make you think that that is actually what's happening in the world. Oh, absolutely, because it's yes. made all for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so what I notice on in the social media space is uh, a lot of uh, Christians who are concerned that our influence in our society is waning and that fear sometimes drives them towards positions or language or postures which are against the kingdom. And so we can often see that there is, uh, there is fear, there is anger, People do not necessarily um, present a uh, a winsome embodiment of the gospel. It's interesting that there's even a small pocket of the of the social media universe where the the idea of winsome, the the word winsome, has become a a, sh- a sign that you're weak as a Christian and that you're buying into the whole woke philosophy and okay. all this is really interesting conversation. But this denigration of winsome as a good argument. I was just like, that's really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, sure, the word winsome is not in the Bible, but the word peaceable is, and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness and love and joy and peace. Like, all of these are expressions of the gospel um, and who we are being made to be. And so I do think that sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by um, reacting in fear um, and sometimes when we are, react in fear to our perceived lack of influence in the world and the fact that we're noticing this shift between biblical ethics and uh, cultural ethics uh, does not help us because, it, what, again, what we end up sometimes being drawn into um, is, again, this hypocrisy where people are not um, communicating the ethic of the kingdom as they communicate the um, the message of the kingdom. And partly that's a reason why I don't think engagement and evangelism on social media is necessarily a really helpful way of doing it and actually doing these, as we talk about a lot at Soul Revival, this uh, low-key, low, long-term relational discipleship is a lot better because what you're actually able to do in relationship, which is really hard to do online, is you can read body language and you can... Uh, explain in long conversations and my response to your question isn't constricted to 140 characters or like all of these limitations that we have on social media but it's so ubiquitous it's hard to get out of but we need to remember that's not the real world the real world is the neighbor across the fence or you know in my case down the hall at the unit block and you know at the school pickup or you know your people in the shops and the the petrol station attendant that you always see at the same petrol station you go to every week or fortnight or whatever it is. Like these are the people to be having these kind of conversations with. Um, and it's a, a lot easier to witness the kingdom in long-term, low-key relational discipleship than it is by trading conversations back and forth on social media. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I would say it's probably tough to... On social media, there's always a set of rules that you're communicating by, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. There's a set of rules that it's almost like you're trying to have a conversation 
within a, like this tiny room <laughs> um, and you you don't have like you're saying with a relational aspect to it of I'm even now in this particular podcast reading your uh, facial expressions yeah. and like how you're communicating to me and, and I, also, I also know like when you're finishing a sentence also it's like you know <laughs> what I mean like I, I know when to jump in for example I, it's when we do this podcast it's like I'm watching you and Stu as you talk so I'm like what should I say next <laughs> but it's, it's the, but that, like, that would be so much harder if it was just over text for example absolutely like if it was just yeah. Twitter and I think that's a really good point is that um, we are sometimes convinced that what is happening on something like social media is what's actually happening in the world because of the way it operates and makes us think of that. But yes. that's not the truth. And I think that, that we could probably look at some of that McCrindle research that you found mm. for this episode where uh, they're saying that people are much more open to a conversation and it's those people that you said, your neighbours over the back fence or like the people that you see often. Because, I mean, when you were saying that about the petrol station attendant or anyone you see during your normal life, I just thought, like, well, Jesus was just, Jesus and even the apostles during Acts and all that kind of stuff were just they were walking they were just walking and would see people on the road and be like, "Hey, join us and we're going to tell you about Jesus," and we'd be telling people about Jesus. It's a similar kind of thing, I think. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a there's a strategic nature to it, and we've been preaching through Acts here at Soul Revival, and mm. so we've been looking at Paul's journey, and he has a strategy for evangelism, yep. um, and his strategy for evangelism is. Uh, particularly in that middle chunk of Acts, is to go firstly to the synagogue um, because when Jesus says the kingdom um, is near, repent and believe the good news, uh, what he's saying is uh, the fulfilment to all the promises to Abraham have finally come true mm-hmm. in me. And so Paul honours that heritage by going into the synagogue first and saying, guys, um, listen up, the promised king has come. You know that saviour that you've been waiting for because you've been reading Abraham and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah yeah. and Ezekiel? It's come, it's come true. Um, and we see that as he goes around, a number of Jews realise, oh yeah, the Messiah that we have been waiting for has come and his name is Jesus. And they get excited and they turn and they follow Jesus. Um, and so they, it's not really a conversion, it's just a realisation, the fulfilment of all their hopes and dreams of God and God's work in the world has now come true. So they they put their trust in Jesus as the Messiah they're waiting for. Um, and then once Paul has done that, often what results is there's a number of uh, the Jewish believers in each town he goes to who reject that and say, no, 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 there's no way that a crucified rabbi in Jerusalem could be the promised Messiah we've been waiting for. You're speaking heresy, you need to get out. And so uh, nearly every place he goes to, he goes to the synagogue first, talks there, some believe, some kick him out, and then he goes and starts talking to um, the the Greek or the non-Jewish population. And for them, he's got a different message, uh, which is not that the Messiah you've been waiting for has come because if they're not Jews, they haven't been waiting for Messiah. They're not familiar with Isaiah. Mm. Um, And so for him, for them, uh, there is a God who made the universe. Um, He has made himself known in this person, Jesus, um, and he will come back one day to judge the living and the dead. It would be wonderful to come and join in his kingdom. And so he puts that invite, and we find that a number of um, Greeks and non-Jews and Gentiles uh, become part of the church 
as well. I just taught last week on the Philippian jailer uh, who is actually responsible for locking up Paul and Silas. Um, and yet when the earthquake comes and the, all the rooms open and the chains fall off and yet no one runs away, uh, the Philippian jailer who's been listening to Paul and Silas sing songs about Jesus all <laughs> night um, realises actually this, this weird thing that these excitable guys have been singing about, maybe that's actually true. And so he asked the most important question, what must I do to be saved? And they say, put your faith in the Lord Jesus, be baptised, this is for you and your whole family. And his whole family get baptised that night and they stay for dinner. Um, and just <laughs> imagine this, like this poor jailer's house and his, his wife and kids, he's, the jailer's like, oh yeah, sorry, sorry love, the, the jail's fallen down, I've just brought all the prisoners with me. Um, they're going to hang out in our lounge room um, and we're going to hear more from this guy, Paul, about who this Jesus is. You know, and so there is a, there is a strategy there. Uh, so it's not just ad hoc, um, but there is also that just relational nature of what Paul is doing. And you could argue, well, that of course it's, it's slow and low-key and relational. It's the first century. We don't have to be slow, low-key and relational today. We've got hyperspeed internet i can talk to people across the globe um, in nanoseconds i can be communicating with people on social media instantaneously and in fact if it's not instantaneous i get upset with my internet provider for running slow Um, we don't need to be low-key long-term and relational but i think what we found at soul revival is that those kind of words while they're not necessarily biblical context concepts they are ways in which God chooses to work. Um, and it's really been an encouragement to us to, yes, embrace new technology. I mean, here we are doing a podcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a new, newish technology. Like we've, we've jumped on the bandwagon in some mm-hmm. ways. And, you know, this is, it's, we're creating content, which is great. And hopefully it's an encouragement to people. Um, but this is nothing compared to our weekly hanging out with people embodied at church which is why the lockdowns were so frustrating um, was because we were missing that and we knew that we actually really wanted to be sitting down, having meals together, um, having late night, having long morning teas on Sunday mornings because yeah. uh, that's who we are and that's how people are brought into relationship with Jesus, yes, through the message, but in the way, in the context of, relationship and the context of his local church and i think that's god's vision for the church and for us and so as we think about what do we do with evangelism um and whatever happened to evangelism yeah there's a lot of things we can see we haven't had a revival recently um we there was an ed stetzer article we were talking about at one point um there he talks about yeah there's no evangelistic conferences anymore there's no big rally events where you go and you hang out um, and call people to come and know Jesus, walk down the front. Like there's not a lot of those going on. There are some. Um, there's a great one uh, in the Blue Mountains near us um, called Kick, which is a, a great one for teenagers mm. in particular. And they um, do a really excellent job of calling for response as they preach the gospel. Um, so th- there are a few of those things around, uh, but there's not a lot. Uh, so how do we do evangelism? Do we go back to those things. We talked about tools. We talked about the Jesus beads um, as one. The semiotics and the colours. And all of those things are helpful in as much as they help us to communicate that gospel through line Mm. of what it means. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for us on the cross. This is how we invite it into his kingdom. And this is how the spirit is calling you to respond. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. uh, And and I, I do wonder about 
what is people's response to that that aren't Christians. So the McCrindle research that you found, I was just looking at it, so that there's a, a percentage spread of people that uh, responded to the the survey that they mm-hmm. held. So it says only 7% are ex- active practices, meaning they're extremely involved. And then 15% of that uh, churchgoers, which means they go at least monthly. And then there's another, there's a, a they make up 45% of respondents that say they identify with Christianity. So almost half of the respondents say they identify with Christianity, but only would you say twenty two percent are actually going to church at least monthly or more? Uh, so that's only fifteen percent. I think that seven uh, is within. So oh, my bad. No, yeah, yeah that's all right. So, um, so I think this is this is right. So this and this might help with that. How do we evangelize? Mm. There's forty five percent of the Australian population who identify as Christians. Yes, that's amazing. That's outstanding. Um, only 15% of the Australian population go to church at least monthly. There's 30% of the Australian population who call themselves Christian and don't go to church monthly mm. um, or more. This 30%, that's like one in three of your neighbours uh, would identify as Christians and yet don't go to church. Uh, I mean, talk about low-hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah. these, these are people who are already identifying with the story of Jesus mm. um, and just are not currently allowing it to shape their weekend as we talked about last week when we talked about the history of Sorrow Bible mm. you know so it, it's it hasn't impacted their life to the point that they'll make church a priority on the weekend and make God's family help shape um, their identity and who they are um, and I'm sure there's a whole lot of other practices and, and beliefs that they have because they're not being regularly shaped by the regular reading and preaching of God's word and the regular meeting together with God's people mm. um, that you would think is a the easiest thirty percent, hopefully, to evangelize. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's not. But you would think that there there are some some ways in which we can communicate to people in our communities and say, "Oh, you're a Christian too." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really go to church. I haven't really made the time for that. Oh, would you like to go to church? I've got a great church. Would you yeah. like to just come along and visit and see what you're missing out on? Like, there's that kind of conversation that might happen. Um, one of the other interesting things from this McCrindle research is that overall, almost two-thirds of Australians um, are spiritual in some way. Uh, so 68%. So that's really significant as well. So you're able to have a spiritual conversation with two-thirds of your neighbours. Um, and it might be a different spirituality. Mm. It might be a different religion. Uh, and, and certainly particular geographic areas of Sydney uh, are more densely or sparsely populated with particular religious groups, um, often but not always because there's particular ethnic groups yeah. in those particular areas. Yeah. Um, and that makes sense. That's how big cities operate. Uh, but there's two-thirds of our neighbours um, have some sort of spiritual belief. Mm. Um, so, again, they're... I think what this report does, and one of the things we've talked about throughout, is perhaps our lack of willingness to evangelise, and we noted that in the Barna study earlier, is self-imposed. It's not actually brought on by negative conversations that we've had. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's actually, um, we think, we're worried that people won't want to have these conversations, when in fact 
perhaps many people will be willing to have these conversations. I mean, that's something that when we're talking to Timothy Paul Jones, he said that in his ministry, he was finding that people are more, it it had flipped between morals and uh, the miracles. So even, uh, for example, the Scopes Monkey Trial, it was a question about the morals weren't questionable, but the miracles were. But now it seems to have flipped, as as he was saying, to say that the miracles are the ones that they believe because people are still spiritual, but it's the morals that they don't believe because they feel like that's been done with. Um, and that plays into the, the things that you're talking about um, where Christianity is seen as being dangerous. It's something, oh, we've done, we've dealt with that, haven't we? But it's okay, but we're still going to be spiritual regardless. But then I suppose that that's maybe why sometimes... Christians are seeing that and going, well, people are saying it's all done, so we, we don't need to, like, it's almost, not we don't need to, but they're tempted to think, well, we don't, we don't need to talk to those people about it because they're too far gone. But this research tells me that's not the case. Um, you're talking about <laughs> the low-hanging fruit. Do you think that, that there's a reason that people, like, we're saying there's a quite a lot of people that are still identifying as Christian but not going to church? Do you think the the um, we talked about last week the Christian the Christian cringe factor? Do you think that is a is a concern? Because um, Stu used the example of Point Break, where an FBI agent goes in and pretends to be a surfer to be able to get into this gang of surfers who are also robbing banks, which is a, a wild proposition in, in <laughs> itself. But yeah, do you think that cringe plays a factor that we're too on the not on the nose? Doesn't seem right because we're we're trying as we're trying to evangelise, we want to invite a response, don't we? So sometimes you might need... If we, You said last week, if we're going to cause offence, then we want the gospel to be the thing that causes offence. So, yeah, sorry, that's my question. Does the cringe factor play into that? And are we operating on an old model or an old uh, way of telling people that Christianity is actually something that you should worth... It is worth considering? I don't think we've got a model at all. Okay. And this is part of Ed Setzer's... Um, argument argument in his article, uh, which we can link to in the notes as well, is uh, he kind of acknowledges that we there is this bit of a, a cringe factor, perhaps. Um, he says, for many, we've just moved on. Maybe we've become too sophisticated for telling people about Jesus. Mm. Uh, or maybe it's the reputation of the church, or maybe it's just us. And then he goes to explain all of the different things that are going on there. Um, but one of the things he talks about is, you know, we've often... Um, felt there's a cringe factor about the the tools that we use, like going up and handing out tracks at the train station and um, street preaching in, in Cronulla Mall or, um, you know, having particular memorised ways of explaining the gospel. There, there's a, a quite a popular evangelistic tool called Evangelism Explosion um, and you just ask people uh, if you were going to die tonight, do you know you'll go to heaven? Um, and again, I just think that we cringe at that. We just go, how do you, I wouldn't walk up to a stranger and ask that question. Um, and part of that is a, a cringe factor. Part of it is because we, we think that that's not quite authentic, like authentic, authenticity is a high value of our current cultural moment. Um, but one of the things Stetzer argues is that we've, got a cringe about our tools and we've stopped doing them. He also talks about how we've stopped doing these conferences. But he then critiques that and says, but we've got put nothing in its place. We don't actually have a new thing that we are doing 
uh, we're not actually missional. We're not actually going out and trying to communicate Jesus to people. Um, and we see this in a number of different ministry models. We talked about it in season three with the different types of youth ministry models um, and Chap Clark's uh, challenge to actually be more missional in the way that we do youth ministry in particular. Because if we just wait for people to rock up at church, they're not doing that. They're not rocking up. Um, because we're not in a cultural moment where just, oh, I feel like bored on a Sunday morning. I guess I'll go to church. Like That <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, but well, I think what the McCrindle research shows us from Australia is that people are happy to have these conversations. We sometimes seem to be the ones that have got the cringe factor about starting those conversations. Yeah, okay. So some further research that McCrindle goes into here. Um, so more than half of Australians, 52%, are open to some extent to changing their religious views given the right circumstances and evidence. And in fact, it's the younger generations which are the more open to changing. Uh, and so, yeah, we looked at the Barna stuff, which is American, but we saw that in that, the millennials that they were researching uh, felt equipped to mm. communicate the gospel, um, but thought that it was morally wrong to try and convince someone to change. McCrindle in Australia is noticing that more than half Australians are open to some extent to change. So actually happy to have these conversations. Um, and the one of the markers that they um, researched was that conversations with people are the biggest prompt for Australians to think about spiritual or religious things. 31% of all responders agreed with that statement, that conversations with people are the biggest prompt. And so this is what we've been talking about is if we have these relational conversations where we get to know people, again, not as utilitarian missional markers, like, you know, I've, I've got my eye on you and I need to convert you. Like, there's, <laughs> there's a really gross way of, yeah, th seeing someone as a target. Mm -hmm. um, but if we generally have relationships with people and we generally want to be authentically Christian and confidently Christian, um, and in doing so, open up the space where we can actually ask them, so... I've shared about what I believe. What do you believe? And actually just start to have that conversation. Uh, that's going to be one of the ways in which God works through his spirit to actually bring people to, to know him. Um, and one of the other really interesting things which aligns with what we've been talking about is in the McCrindle study, the greatest attraction to investigating spirituality and religion is observing people who live out a genuine faith. Oh, and that 61% right. said that they were attracted by this. The, so the authenticity. That's it. It's the authenticity. It's the confidence. Um, again, not a, not a braggy self-righteousness, but just the, the quiet confidence that says, yeah, I'm a Christian. Of course I am. Mm. Like Stu said last week, if someone comes up and says, oh, you're wearing that you know, billabong flutter. You must be a surfy. He goes, yeah, I actually really enjoy the surf. Mm. I live near Cronulla. I actually find part of my identity in being connected with you know, surf culture in the Sutherland Shire. Um, and they might mock him for that um, if they're not from that culture. But he's like, yeah, it's no point mocking me. Like, this is just who I am. I'm not ashamed of that. I just have this quiet confidence and I wear that um, in my billabong funno. Um, and it's the same thing, and we, we, this is what we talked about last week with the semiotic of wearing a, a jumper that displays your church name or a verse on the Bible or you have your Jesus beads or you're just sitting in the cafe and you've 
you know, got your Bible open in front of you with your coffee next to you and it's people who walk past and the waitress kind of see you reading the Bible. They go, what are you reading? Oh, I just read the Bible. Um, oh, that's weird. And that might be it. <laughs> that's weird, yeah. Um, and then the next week, yeah, you, you're there again at your favourite cafe and you talk with the same staff and you're also reading your Bible. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and it just kind of builds that um, the, the ability to... To have a conversation. To have the conversation, that's right. Yeah, um, I had another conversation I had. This one turned out to be a Christian, but um, uh, my son had to do some minor surgery. He was doing a checkup the other day. Everything's fine, mm. um, but the surgeon, yeah, I, I, we were reading our books in the waiting room. The surgeon comes by and goes, "Oh, what you reading?" <laughs> um, and it was, I mean, it was some really nerdy book about sociology and theology <laughs> and the curriculum, um, and I just, oh, this is this is what I'm reading. He goes, oh, that's. That's interesting. Um, what do you do? I said, oh, you know, children's ministry consultant. I'm also doing research in sociology and religion and Christianity and kind of working out how people end up believing what they believe. And he's like, oh, right. What, what churches do you support? I'm like, oh, primarily Anglican ones. That's who I'm paid to. But, you know, I've got friends all over the place. And then he said, oh, do you know this particular church? And I said, oh, the one with so-and-so as a minister. He goes, yeah, that's the one. Um, I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, you go there, do you? He's like, yeah, yeah. And that was kind of it. Like, it didn't go past that. But the other interesting thing was we weren't the only ones in the room. Like, his nurse, nursing assistant was there. I've got no idea. She didn't enter the conversation. Yeah. But all of these things were just being confidently, humbly Christian and just keeps raising those expectations. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that conversation that he had with me, this little bit of solidarity that we realised we both go to different Anglican churches on the opposite sides of Sydney, um, for him and his nursing staff to be able to, for the nursing staff to say, mm-hmm. so what was that connection you had with that patient? And he can go, oh, just we're both Christians. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And again, that we talked about yesterday, that raising, um, I've lost the word now, the, um, the, the realisation, um, plausibility oh, structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the plausibility structure. Um, for, for that nurse, the, all of a sudden, the plausibility structure, there are people in her environment and her world yeah. that believe in Jesus and take Jesus seriously and just really humbly confident in that. Mm. Um, for her, that just raises a little bit. And she goes, oh, that's really interesting. There's, there's more of those people. And it's like being a teenager at high school when you realise that 10% of your class are wearing Jesus beads. Yeah. You realise 10% of your class who you actually you like these people mm. You play soccer with these people. You play handball with these people. You do dancing with these people. You actually respect these people, and they believe in Jesus. That's really interesting, and it's it's it can be slow. It is long term. It is relational. It is low key. Um, but one of the things we're convinced of as a church is that these are the ways in which we do do evangelism. Mm. And I think also, I think you're right about that um, very much so. And I think. Uh, I find that as an encouragement myself to, yeah, I, we can we can do this. Like, I think that's what maybe where we're trying to head with this episode is like, no, no, we don't need to be scared. Like, we can continue to move forward. We can be humble but confident in what Jesus has done. And then we're like, well, as Bebbington's saying, well, then that means we need to go out and tell other people about it. People, Other people need to be converted. We can't just hold, like, hold on to it. And it reminded me of the story we were talking about uh, you talked about sorrow revival again, but also a, a story that 
originally when Sorrel started, um, and she said this, that they weren't giving, they didn't think, feel like they were giving God their best. It was kind of like it was attacked on to the end. You'd just go to church on a Sunday night and that was kind of it. And then they decided to, with the youth community, go, let's do, let's give Saturday the party night, the night that you'd, you'd always do anything else to, to Jesus. And I was just looking at this McCrinnell research again, saying that people only go once a month. There's a there's a, pr- a, a proportion of these people that responded that only go once a month or if at all. And the fact that when we decide when Sorrival decided to go, oh, we're going to make Saturday night and every Saturday night the time that we do this. I feel like, and that was and the impact that had on discipleship and mission. I think that's something that it's worth considering is that why are we as a Christian society as Christians why are we only going to church once a month we've got seven percent of these respondents are extremely involved if we're only going once a month how can we expect to be impacting on the culture to be sharing the news about Jesus I think is something to be really worth thinking about because if you're not being a Christian community where you can encourage each other to be confident Christians and then go out into the community then you're probably not going to be really convincing any anyone else about Jesus, I think. What do you think? Yeah, so uh, imagine I'm someone of, of no faith or different faith. Mm. Um, Which, uh, by the way, sorry, just to bring up, as you're saying that, the, the proportion of people saying they're growing up with no religion or have no religion is now going all the way up to 22% of these respondents as well. So, sorry, I'm just yes, throwing that out. Yes, no, that's, that's right. So that's, so very, that's very accurate. That, that is the um, population that is, is growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, there's 32% um, in this survey uh, identify in some way of having no particular religion mm. or not defining a religion. When this re- release first came out, um, one of the interesting things that came up was, again, the, the prominent secular voices saying, well, actually 32% is the biggest growth is, is the, sorry the biggest raw number um, and they were saying you know therefore we're showing that most people um, uh, or the majority well not the majority the the, the most dominant marker uh, is not faith um, but what they're choosing to do there is is what is actually done in the census which is then all the different faiths were listed individually uh-huh. so Anglicans Catholics Lutherans Pres- uh, Pentecostals, etc., etc., right. Hindus, Muslims, Jews, uh, and so when you break down religiosity into its particular brand, uh, denomination, or, or religion, yes, they're all smaller numbers than thirty-two percent. Mm. But you put all that together as people who have some sort of spiritual belief, and you get to that sixty-eight percent. And so that's why uh, there was a lot of noise at the time saying, oh, 32% of Australians, that's the largest, the largest category of Australians are the not religious. Um, and that, I mean, that is one way to read the data, but it's a bit of a fudging. Um, and it's a, you're actually ignoring the fact that, yes, but if you add up all those who have some sort of spiritual belief, you end up with the 68. Um, so that's one thing to say. But yes, if I'm one of these 32% of people who have no faith, um, and yeah, imagine I got, you know, two neighbours on either side. One neighbour uh, is, would say they're a Christian on a census, maybe tick the box, mm. but they're one of the 30% for whom Jesus doesn't really shape their calendar enough mm. to go to church once a month. Um, he's not really shaping the, 
the values and the things that they prioritise with their, their week and potentially that may play out in the way that they then prioritise Jesus with their, their money and their time and their effort and their energy and the other things, the values that they put in their lives. Um, uh, and on the other side, um, I've got one of the seven percenters who every Sunday morning or Saturday night or whatever it is, I see them all pack into the car and drive off <laughs> um, like clockwork. Mm. Um, and, you know, on Tuesday nights, you know, uh, the husband's always coming home at 10 o'clock and the couple of times I've been putting my trash out and say good day, says, oh, yeah, just come back from Bible study. Um, and then you realise that this is also a weekly thing. Yeah, they're, they're part of these 7% of extremely, what was it? Uh, extremely, extremely involved, involved mm. active practitioners. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which one is going to be more attractive to me? If, if I had then had a, if I had a curiosity about Christianity or I wanted to know a little bit more about Christianity um, and about this Jesus that I've read about in the media or there's been a, a piece in a newsletter uh, slamming you know, Christian doctrine on such and such. And I'm, if I'm a, an open person who wants to have a conversation about that, which of my neighbours am I going to go to? Well, I go to the 7%, right? Mm. Like the one that I can see is highly active. The one I can see is engaged. The one they think is authentic. The one is I think is authentic. The one who I'm noticing that they are living out a genuine faith, you know. And one time as we were both mowing the lawn at the same time, (laughs) we had a question about holidays uh, and I was explaining about how I'm going to take my kids to the snow and they're talking about how they're going to take their kids down to their church retreat for the weekend mm. and that's how they're choosing to spend their limited holiday funds and it's like oh that's really interesting like you would actually choose to use your limited holiday and annual leave to go on a church thing that's really odd um and again all these things just kind of build up and it's low term and it's low key and it's relational but you're as the the christian the highly active involved christian is actually displaying to that person that they're taking jesus seriously they've got a genuine mm. faith which is shaping all of their life um they're really they're not ashamed of that. They're actually quite confident on it. They're not, you know, um, you know, slamming down your throat. They're not being really aggressive uh, in their communication to you. But they're really happy to raise it. I mean, they're really um, conversational about it. And you can see that it's genuine. You can see that it's authentic. They're the kind of conversations, they're the kinds of relationships uh, where God is at work. Um, and so they're the kind of things that will help um, God uses to create the kind of conversations which lead to faith, that leads to conversion, to lead mm. to growth in the kingdom. Yeah, and I, f- I find that quite encouraging actually because uh, let's say I'm <laughs> on the opposite side, I'm the, I'm the family that is going to church every week and, and I never even thought of that, that my neighbours probably see me see us pile into the car and go to church every week. Um, they might not think I'm a Christian some of my other actions, but <laughs> <laughs> which, but again, that's you, we're all a work in progress, like you're saying, as Christians. But I do think that those regular actions, being an active practicer, as the as the research calls it, I think that actually helps us to have those conversations. I think you're right, and that's something that I've really got become encouraged by doing this entire season. And I think I feel like I am more equipped to be able to t- tell people about Jesus and to be able to have those conversations and not fear almost losing the conversation. I think that's something that we are often tricked into as well. It's like we've got to have all the right answers. But what that research is saying to us is that, no, no, we need to be authentic, confident Christians and not a point-break Christian, not not a Keanu Reeves, as we <laughs> talked about last week. 
Um, and so that's why I found this uh, um, this season has been really encouraging and really helpful for me. I think to know that historical context, I find historical context give me a lot of uh, ability to understand it. Like a, we, we are doing acts, like you said, in, in our community groups and we're looking at maps and where everyone went and why they went to those particular areas, as you said. And, um, and even doing a certificate of theology in Old Testament, it helps like understanding the historical significance of what's going on and why the Bible's written in a particular way at that time. All those kind of things, like the historical context just really helps me. I don't know if it helps everyone, but I love finding out like, the reason why things actually happened. Anyway, I digress. To ask you the question is, as we wrap up this final episode of this season, what is the thing, what would be the one thing that you've taken out of doing this um, season of 19 episodes? The thing that I've been encouraged by this season is seeing the history of evangelicalism uh, and evangelism, uh, seeing the way God works mm. and the way that he uses the clear communication of his gospel story and the importance of that by those who are not being distracted by other things but are just able to hold that evangelical through line. I think that's been really significant. Uh, the way that they have enacted change in society and so we actually see that it does have that activist effect that it goes out and changes um but ultimately i'm convinced that this is the right message because it is true uh and that we are called to live the gospel life um and that god will do his work i think that's what the scriptures Mm -hmm. continue to affirm we live the life of the christian we communicate clearly the gospel to our friends and our neighbours and our family, our work colleagues, you know, whoever we're in contact with. We continue to hold out uh, the joy it is and the confidence that we have because we're um, friends with Jesus, we've been adopted into his family because of the death and resurrection that he's enacted for us on the cross. Um, as we continue to hold that line, God will do his work. Um, and I don't need to be particularly stressed about the results though i trust that in god's faithfulness he will bring results from my actions um i don't need it it saves me from having to um be scared that our cultural morality may be separating from christian morality i don't have to be worried about those kinds of things because i just i just trust jesus the lord of history that he's got this um Will the West continue to uh, separate itself morally, ethically, culturally from the ethic of the kingdom? Yeah, maybe. Um, will a, a revival come and will you know, the West turn back to Jesus in the way that we actually see right now in Southeast Asia and in Africa and in the Middle East and other places of the world? Maybe. That would be wonderful if it does. But... Also, my identity in Christ is not tied to either of those things. My identity in Christ is who God has called me to be, mm. and I just need to be faithful to him. Uh, and so as I live, hopefully, as authentically and uh, generously and confidently as I can as a Christian, uh, my hope and prayer is that that is a good witness to my friends, my neighbours, um, the people I meet, who know that I'm a Christian and that they can put two and two together. Mm. And by God's grace and by God's spirit, that will be part of the story, including me telling the story and asking for a response that actually brings more and more people into the kingdom. Yeah.
Great way to finish. Great way to finish the season. Thank you very much for your time, Tim. No worries. Thank you, Joel. Thank no, you for hosting. No, that's all right. I really enjoyed that that episode. So thank you very much. Uh, if you would like to continue the conversation about what we're talking about, you can email me, Joel at shockersorbit.com.au. You can subscribe to our email newsletter. You can subscribe to our podcast, whether it's on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Uh, check out the Discord link where we would love to continue the conversation throughout the week. Uh, get on that if you're interested. Discord is just another uh, communication platform. This one that we're trying out. So if you haven't seen it before, check it out. It's a it's a bit of fun. Um, if you would like to buy any Soul Revival uh, gear or semiotics, as we call it, you can check out the soulrevival.shop. Uh, all of our proceeds for that go to our Indigenous Ministry partners out in Western New South Wales. Uh, having said that, that's the end of the season. Thank you for your time. We will be coming back with another season, for sure. Uh, we, we will always continue to do that on the Shock Resolver. Thank you also to our producer, Dave, who is always doing an outstanding job on sound and editing and everything else uh, to do with publishing these episodes. But, Tim, thank you very much. And thank you, Joel. As always, we'll finish with a one-way. Excellent. One-way. One way.